Hello, everyone, and welcome to the December 10 edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Skarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The federal courtroom battle over the survival of the new automatic stay law governing liens filed by indicted medical providers, which has been mostly unsuccessful litigation, has now been dismissed. Dr. Eduardo Aguizola, while facing multiple counts of insurance fraud filed by Orange County prosecutors, is one of the plaintiffs who claims Labor Code Section 4615, the automatic lien stay law, violates the procedural component of the due process clause because it immediately stays all liens without notice or hearing. Other plaintiffs in the case were Vanguard Medical Management, one-stop multi-specialty medical group, and its related entities. Soon after the suit was filed, Governor Brown signed AB 1422, which was a cleanup bill into law, which was adverse to his federal claim. AB 1422 made it clear that the automatic stay law shall not preclude the appeals board from inquiring into and determining within a workers' compensation proceeding whether a lien is stayed pursuant to the subdivision. In October 2017, the federal court issued a restraining order against the DIR, but it limited the stays to instances where the lien claimant was given proper notice and requested a hearing before the WCAB. This was a partial victory for the plaintiffs who sought more restraint. But in February 2018, the plaintiffs filed two new motions, one asking the court to hold the DWC in contempt and the other alternatively to reconsider its earlier ruling. The court denied both motions. The defendants also filed a motion to dismiss certain claims in the first amended complaint and the court granted the motion and last April dismissed the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth causes of action and as to the sixth and seventh claims for relief, which was the Supremacy Clause claim and the Takings Clause claim under the Constitution, the court dismissed those claims with prejudice. And things have not gotten any better for the lien claimant since then. On November 28, the lien claimant signed a stipulation for voluntary dismissal of the case. The parties agreed that this stipulation and dismissal completely terminated the action against all parties. Each party agreed to bear its own attorney fees and costs, and the preliminary injunction currently in effect was dissolved. A federal judge who has been asked to sign off on the U.S. government's decision to approve CVS Health Corporation's acquisition of insurer Aetna Incorporated said he was less convinced than the government that the merger was legal under antitrust law. The judge had complained that the two sides had treated him as a rubber stamp for the agreement. The federal judge asked the government and the companies to file a brief by December 14 to show why their integration should not be halted while he considers whether or not to approve the consent decree reached in October. The Justice Department approved the merger of CVS, a pharmacy chain and benefits manager, and Aetna on condition that the health insurer sell its Medicare Part D drug plan business. 
Most consent agreements that the antitrust agencies strike with companies to resolve competitive concerns are approved by federal courts with little fuss under the 1974 Tunney Act, which requires courts to ensure the agreements are in the public interest. Companies generally do not wait for final court approval before closing their transactions. Thus, in this case, CVS closed the $69 billion transaction and began the integration process anyway. And now our crime report. A 56-year-old chiropractor has pleaded guilty for his role in a massive workers' compensation insurance fraud and conspiracy scheme. Paul Turley pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, mayhem, insurance fraud, and unlawful patient referral. He faces up to eight years in state prison, and his sentencing is set for June 14. Turley is among a dozen defendants who were indicted by a grand jury in 2015 for fraudulently billing tens of millions of dollars to insurance companies for fraudulent surgeries, prescription medications, fake MRIs, falsifying medical reports, and office visits. Prosecutors later divided the large case into three smaller ones in an effort to streamline the complex litigation and refiled several counts that previously had been dismissed. However, indictments remain against orthopedic surgeon Dr. Munur Ueda and his office manager Wendy Luke, both of whom are still fugitives. The conspiracy allegedly included paying lawyers and marketers as much as $10,000 a month for illegal patient referrals known as capping. Nearly two dozen patients allegedly were deceived into having surgeries they thought would be performed by Ueda. Instead, a physician's assistant who never attended medical school carried out invasive and sometimes unnecessary surgeries. Prosecutors said Ueda was not present in the operating room for all the surgeries. Nearly two dozen patients have lasting physical scars and many need additional surgeries to repair the original injury. Last year, co-defendant Marissa Nelson pleaded guilty to one felony count of conspiracy to commit insurance fraud and admitted a special allegation of taking property of value exceeding $3.2 million dollars. She faces up to nine years in state prison when she is scheduled to be sentenced on January 25. The other ten defendants are awaiting trial. Actelion Pharmaceuticals U.S. Incorporated has agreed to pay $360 million to resolve allegations that it violated the False Claims Act by paying kickbacks to Medicare patients through a purportedly independent charitable foundation. Congress included copay requirements in these federal medical benefit programs, in part to encourage market forces to serve as a check on health care costs, including the prices that pharmaceutical manufacturers can demand for their drugs. The anti-kickback statute prohibits pharmaceutical companies from offering or paying directly or indirectly any remuneration to induce Medicare patients to purchase the company's drugs. In this case, prosecutors alleged that Actelion used a foundation as a conduit to pay the copay obligations of thousands of Medicare patients taking Actelion's PAH drugs. 
By doing so, Actelion allegedly was able to induce patients to purchase its drugs when the prices Actelion had set for those drugs otherwise could have posed a barrier to purchase. Actelion used information about patient drug use obtained from a charitable foundation to budget for future payments to the foundation on a drug-specific basis. And to confirm that its contribution amounts to the foundation were sufficient to cover the co-pays of patients taking Actelion's drugs, but not of patients taking other drugs made by competitive manufacturers. Actelion engaged in this practice even though the foundation warned the company against receiving data concerning the foundation's expenditures on co-pays for Actelion's drugs. Johnson & Johnson later acquired Actelion, but Johnson & Johnson was not involved directly or indirectly in the alleged conduct. Federal prosecutors say medical device manufacturer EV3 Incorporated has agreed to plead guilty to charges related to its neurovascular medical device, Onyx Liquid Embolic System, and pay $17.9 million in penalties. And Covidian LP, whose parent acquired EV3, separately paid $13 million to resolve False Claim Act allegations, resulting from its alleged payment of kickbacks in connection with another medical device known as the Solitaire Medical Thrombectomy Device. EV3 will plead guilty to a misdemeanor charge in connection with the company's distribution of adulterated Onyx in violation of the FDA Act. As part of the criminal resolution, EV3 will pay a criminal fine of $11.9 million and will forfeit an additional $6 million. According to the plea agreement, Onyx was approved by the FDA as a liquid embolization device that is surgically injected into blood vessels to block blood flow to arteriovenous malformations in the brain. But the FDA has approved Onyx only for use inside the brain. Despite the FDA's limited approval of Onyx, EV3 sales representatives encourage surgeons to use the drug in large quantities for unproven and potentially dangerous surgical uses outside the brain. The company's sales force continued to tout unapproved and potentially dangerous uses of Onyx even after FDA officials told the company executives that they had specific safety concerns regarding use of Onyx outside the brain. FDA officials told EV3 executives that a study would be required to gain approval for uses of Onyx outside the brain and to ensure that the benefits of the device outweighed the risks. According to the criminal information, EV3's management also set up a system of sales quotas and bonuses that incentivized sales representatives to sell the drug for unapproved uses and trained the sales force how to instruct physicians on unapproved uses of the drug. Covidin acquired EV3 in 2010, subsequent to the course of criminal conduct covered by the plea agreement. And Covidin was acquired by Medtronic in 2015, but although Medtronic played no role in the criminal conduct. Covidin separately has agreed to pay $13 million to resolve its civil liability 
for allegedly paying kickbacks to induce the use of its solitaire mechanical thrombectomy device. The solitaire device is intended to restore blood flow and retrieve a blood clot in certain stroke patients. The United States alleged that Covidin caused false claims to be submitted to Medicare and Medicaid by paying kickbacks to hospitals and institutions to induce them to use Covidin's solitaire device. The civil lawsuit was filed by a whistleblower who worked for Covidin. The False Claim Act allows private parties to sue on behalf of the government for false claims and to share in any recovery. This whistleblower received slightly more than $2 million for his part of the resolution. A jury has convicted 62-year-old Gonzalo Paredes of 51 felony counts of paying illegal kickbacks to a doctor for patient referrals and fraudulently billing workers' comp insurance companies in California. The jury reached their verdict after a nine-day trial. This prosecution resulted from Operation Backlash, a large-scale joint federal and state investigation into multi-million dollar fraud and illegal kickbacks in the state workers' comp system. Paredes was the office administrator for Advanced Radiology of Beverly Hills, owned by radiologist Dr. Ronald Grust. Earlier this year, Grust was convicted on 39 felony fraud counts, for paying kickbacks for patient referrals from multiple clinics in San Diego and Imperial counties. Grust was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. As the Office Administrator for Advanced Radiology, Paredes helped negotiate the kickback deals with the chiropractor and facilitated the kickback payments to the chiropractor and those working with him. Paredes faces a maximum of 43 years and four months in state prison when he is sentenced in February. Prosecutors say insurance fraud in California is a $15 billion a year problem and is the second largest economic crime in America, exceeded only by tax evasion. Antoyan Griffin will not stand trial on a felony charge of trying to pay a hitman $200,000 to kill a lawyer involved in his workers' comp case. The motion to dismiss his case was submitted one day after the key witness, Curtis McAfee, invoked his right against self-incrimination and declined to testify against Griffin. The assistant district attorney said dropping the charge was the right thing to do after coming to the conclusion that the evidence did not support proceeding any further. Griffin's defense attorney said the charge should never have been filed because McAfee, the key witness, is a mentally unstable individual with a history of making these kinds of claims. McAfee and Griffin know each other because McAfee had helped Griffin with some legal paperwork involving his work comp case. It was a strange ending to a criminal case in which Griffin's lawyer contended that Griffin never threatened a lawyer from the McCormick Barstow law firm. Nor does he have the $200,000 needed to hire the hitman since he survives on a $910 monthly disability check. In addition, the defense attorney contended law enforcement was duped by McAfee, saying McAfee made up the entire story. 
The target in the alleged murder plot works for McCormick, Barstow, Shepard, Waite, and Carruth, and specializes in personal injury, product liability, medical malpractice, and other areas of civil litigation. And in regulatory news, Florida Tax Watch analyzed California's IMR process and determined that asking doctors rather than attorneys and judges to resolve disputed medical claims could save millions of dollars for Florida's workers' compensation system. California lawmakers authorized IMR in 2012 with the expectation that IMR would reduce workers' compensation disputes. In 2016, the IMR review processed nearly 250,000 applications, which was a slight decrease from 2015. 95.2% of the 176,000 California cases decided using IMR were for applications that listed representation by an attorney for the injured worker. For those cases where the injured worker had representation, the results of the utilization review were upheld in 86.6% of the cases. The Florida report concludes by saying that replacing Florida's dispute resolution process with the IMR process used in California might produce similar results in Florida. The judicial review process can take more than six months, but a non-judicial review process can take 30 days or less. An IMR process could reduce the average time to resolve workers' comp disputes in Florida from 231 days to about 30 as it has in California. And adopting an IMR process could save Florida businesses $22.6 million annually and dramatically reduce, if not eliminate, attorney fees, which amounted to more than $400 million during the 2016-2017 fiscal year. The analysis suggests the state could trim back or potentially even eliminate the 31 administrative judges in its Office of the Judges of Compensation Claims, which has an annual $13.3 million budget. But the proposal is expected to be resisted by the Florida Justice Association, which represents trial lawyers and has opposed attempts to cap attorney fees in the past. And in medical news, the European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction was established in 1993 as one of the EU's decentralized agencies. It exists to facilitate a more evidence-informed understanding of issues that are important for developing better drug-related policies and actions across Europe. In a new series of reports, it turns its attention to cannabis, a substance with a long history of use that has recently emerged as a controversial and challenging issue in both European and wider international drug policy debates. Cannabis is the most commonly used illicit drug in Europe. It is also the drug about which both public attitudes and the political debate are most polarized. In this report, the organization examined the evidence for and practice of making cannabis or cannabis-based medicines available for therapeutic purposes. The report concluded that the evidence is still 
thin on the medical use of cannabis and that so far there were important gaps in this evidence. One of the most commonly reported reasons patients use cannabis for medical purposes in the United States is to treat chronic non-cancer pain. This includes neuropathic pain, arthritis, back pain, neck and shoulder pain, and headaches. Chronic non-patient pain, a review of studies on the effects of cannabis on showed a small but statistically significant effect compared with placebo. Other areas of medical use were also reviewed, such as sleep disorders, anxiety disorders, depression, degenerative neurological disorders, and inflammatory bowel disease. The evidence was rated as insufficient in those categories. In general, the short-term adverse events reported were similar to those of other commonly used medicines and related to symptoms such as dizziness, dry mouth, disorientation, nausea, euphoria, confusion, and somnobulence. Serious adverse events were rare. This is, there is less evidence about the risks of long-term medical use of cannabis cannabinoids, but in general, those reported are similar to those reported for short-term use. Over time, more people report adverse events, but these are generally mild to moderate. Eight medical device makers, including a California startup that uses virtual reality to treat chronic pain, topped an FDA innovation contest aimed at addressing the opioid crisis. The FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health launched the innovation challenge last May. The goal was to provide incentives for medical device developers to invest in products that can address the addiction crisis and advance the development of innovative, safe, and effective technologies. The FDA received more than 250 applications from medical device developers. Silicon Valley-based startup Cognificence was among the winners of the FDA's contest. The company is developing VR neuropsychological therapy, a proprietary VR software platform that provides psychological and experiential training to chronic pain patients to normalize their pain perception. It is based upon the therapeutic principles known as distraction therapy, which has been shown to be effective in providing short-term relief in acute pain. The company utilizes the immersive power of virtual reality to create high cognitive load with entertaining games or experiences which focuses the user on another task and away from the pain. The company's concept differs from ordinary distraction therapy in that it specifically targets the brain's neuroplasticity or ability to change over time. Overall, Cognificence, along with seven other companies, prevailed against the 250 contestants who submitted ideas to the FDA for review. So, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarian 
Manukian, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.